Welcome to Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole, data scientist at PFF. Uh, when I'm not in the lab mixing up the data, I'm here talking to you about the happenings of the week in the NFL. I hope you've enjoyed the last couple of podcasts. I had a really great reaction from two weeks ago when Ryan Paganetti came in. He's the former assistant linebackers coach and game management specialist with the Eagles and especially a close relationship with Doug Peterson. I'm hoping, fingers crossed, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see the fingers are crossed here that he can join us more during the season. And that is going to be to do some game management diagnosis, review what happened the prior week. I'm going to do a little bit of that solo here, and I'm going to describe a scenario that I saw in the preseason, which I think uh, really digs into how teams have to think about setting up their drives and their plays, uh, the optionality of run pass, and then, of course, thinking about uh, try on fourth down before you even get to it. So we'll get to that later on in the show. We'll also get to some fantasy football stuff that I'm going to do to talk about some articles that I put out going into this week. If you have a fantasy football draft coming, also check out the last episode that I had with JJ Zacharyson. Uh, not only is he one of my favorite analysts, but you know, more importantly, he's uh, he's a pretty cool dude. Um, actually, you know what? I'm going to retract that. Not that he's a really, really cool dude. Cause he is, but it's not more importantly, like, it's more important that he's, he's a great analyst, quite honestly. That's, a, that's how I roll, at least. Uh, great analyst matters the most. Uh, how nice you are is, a, is like a cherry on top. It's like a secondary sort of thing, how good and how, and how nice you are. But being a top-notch analyst is the most important thing for me and, the, and mostly the reason why I have people that I do on this podcast. But we're going to talk some of my fantasy analysis going into the season near the end, so I hope you can pay attention to that. And if you're looking for a PFF subscription, I should just tell you right now we are offering 30% off any PFF subscription. Uh, first-time subscribers with the promo code KICKOFF30. That is the fantasy football draft guy, which has all of my rankings in there, a bunch of different content that I'm putting out there. It has locked article content from everyone else. And of course, during the season, I am doing a lot of the work with our projections and the shares that are coming up for that. So that's going to be part of what's going in there. Uh, my content, which also showdown content, and I'm going to probably talk about that next week on the pod, but then also that's something for every Island game, Monday night, Thursday night, Sunday night and maybe even some additional games this year that I'm putting together analysis for the single game DraftKings slates there, which is a really fun way to play. It's a kind of an easy way to get some, some action down there. And there's also some unique strategies that, that you can use there. So once again, kickoff 30 is the promo code, 30% off any PFF subscription. Uh, get access to all the fantasy tools for an additional seven bucks there with PFF. Okay, let's start with the topical stuff, the news of the week. Uh, big news today that came out. Uh, this is being recorded at about 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Tuesday afternoon. And the big news is that Cam Newton was released by the New England Patriots and Mac Jones is going to be the starter. Now, if you re just recall the ordering of everything, we had five rookie quarterbacks go in the draft. The fifth being Mac Jones at the 15th pick overall to the New England Patriots. So he's the last one, but now he's aligned as being the starter. And he's the first of, I would say, the three quarterbacks who had some questions as to whether or not they were going to be the starter week one. Uh, I know that, at least optically, there were some questions about whether or not 
Trevor Lawrence is going to be the starter week one. I'm going to get into some of that tomfoolery that was going on in Jacksonville a little bit later, but I never doubted from the beginning that he was going to be a starter week one. Uh, Zach Wilson had no credible competition that was in there to start the offseason. They just had James Morgan and Mike White. It looks like Mike White's going to be the backup, uh, neither of whom had thrown a single pass in the NFL. Um, so again, we kind of knew what was going to happen there. And then we have Trey Lance, who was the number th- third pick, and Jimmy G, who, who he's competing with there. We have Justin Fields, who has already been declared the backup for week one with uh, Andy Dalton. And then now Mac Jones ascending in, into being a starter. So I want to put in context a few things that, that we saw. Um, first, there's a big caveat, and that is we don't know what happens in practice, right? To or We know some of what's happening in practice through the filtered lens of beat reporters. So beat reporters were very, very positive on Mac Jones's offseason, but they've always been, also been pretty positive on Cam Newton. And the, the turning point, if you want to call it that, and I don't know if it really was, but what could have been is that recently – Cam Newton had an issue where he traveled out of town. He thought he was doing the mandatory testing for COVID because he is unvaccinated. He messed up the timing on that or something was messed up. Um, Lost in translation. Doesn't sound like it was necessarily his fault, but because of the protocols, he was had to be held out for five days uh, because he's an unvaccinated player before he could be brought back into the fold. And, you know, the first day that happened, we heard a lot about how great Mac Jones was playing in practice. Now, what we all did see was how well Mac Jones played in the preseason, right? And if we bring up uh, our, our grades here for what we saw in the preseason, you know, Mac Jones was not only the top rookie quarterback for this season, right? Not only was the top guy for this season, but he's a top rookie quarterback grade that we've had since we've been grading quarterbacks uh, sorry sorry since we've been grading the preseason since 2013 so uh if you look at what what mac jones did this year his grade was 92.2 which is extremely high zach wilson was also pretty high at 83.9 trevor lawrence was not doing so hot but he had that great last game where they kept him in there for a few different drives against the cowboys he was up to 75.7 for his grade this is passing grades by the way And then Justin Fields is 67.7 and Trey Lance is last at 53.6. I'll talk a little bit more about the context with Fields and Lance in a little bit. So for Jones, he was, you know, he, he, he did extremely well, but if you look at Newton, he was right around an 80 grade for the preseason. He played well. Uh, he wasn't playing nearly as much. So I assumed despite the hype around Mac Jones, that they were going to play Cam Newton, uh, to start week one, they had already paid him $3.6 million, which they can't get back that going forward, they were just going to pay him on a week by week basis the rest of the season. And that seemed like an ideal way to say we could start him at the beginning of the season and then turn it over to Mac Jones. Obviously, uh, Bill Belichick didn't, didn't see it that way. And I think Jones what he displayed this this uh, preseason was he threw you know he threw pretty well in the big time throw category. He was about seven percent of his passes. He had four big time throws. He was really converting some longer first downs, which was interesting. He had four drops. So if you add to that, you know, then he would have been even more successful. He his average depth of target was around nine yards, so he was stretching the field pretty well there. And 
Um, he was doing it without relying super heavily on play action, 23% of his passes, which is decent, but not the most we've, you know, not a super high level where he was really using that as a crutch. Now, the one thing that's not reflected in Jones is um, grade enough, in my opinion, and this is a conflict, if you want to call it that, that may be overstating it a bit, but the conflict that I have with some of our grading methodology at PFF is the fact that sacks do not count heavily enough in our grading methodology. If you think about it, uh, Mag Jones, he has this insanely high grade, right? For his passing grade and sacks are part of the passing grade. They're put into there as being one of the dropbacks. So we had 65 dropbacks and this includes, um, this includes no place where there's, where there might've been a penalty on there, but anyway, so 65 dropbacks and he took five sacks on 65 dropbacks. So it's about a seven and a half percent sack rate. If you put that up against quarterbacks last season, that would put him in the bottom, you know, five to 10 quarterbacks as far as having the highest sack rate. And we've discussed here, and you've seen, if you follow anything on PFF, that sacks are quote unquote, a quarterback stat. Now, of course, other positions, primarily the offensive line influence that sack, but generally you can tie over a long enough timeline quarterbacks who have more sacks. It's a stable metric that if you have a big enough sample, it's a stable metric year over year. It's very much tied to the quarterback as opposed to year over year tied to the offensive line when there's a switch in quarterbacks. So in other words, if a quarterback switches teams, uh, there's much stronger correlation between the sack right there than there is with the same offensive line year over year and a new quarterback. So the quarterback controls a lot of it controls probably as much of it as it does many quarterback stats, right? Where you're relying upon receivers, you're relying upon your offensive line, you're relying upon so many different things for quarterbacks to accumulate other stats. So Mac had these five sacks. And I think that may be the one thing that slipped through the cracks a bit. I looked at our play-by-play ratings and we only gave him a negative grade on one of those five sacks. Again, in my opinion, that is, you know, not quite enough. Uh, They weren't, he didn't hold the ball for the longest time. The one that we gave him a negative on the time to pressure was four seconds. So that's why we said he held the ball too long. But in my opinion, you know, that's a very, very long time. If you think about it, the time to throw, I mean, for instance, the time to throw for Mac this year was 2.8 seconds. So, you know, not super fast there. Um, so if we're only going to credit these guys with the sack when they're pressured, you know, the pressure comes in more than four seconds. It's kind of strange on there. In fact, Every single time that Mac took a sack this season, he held the ball at least four seconds. Now, the pressures were coming more like in three and a half, three seconds, but he held the ball at least four seconds every time, and he still took a sack. So that, I found that a little bit discouraging. I think there could be a little bit of a problem going forward. He has a great offensive line, though, so that should help protect him. Um, so that's one caveat, I will say, to Mac Jones's performance and, and something to be worried about. Um, another somewhat of a caveat is how well the Patriots ran the ball when Mac Jones was in there. I mean, they ran the ball well for, for Cam Newton too, but if you look at Ramondre Stevenson and JJ Taylor, the two running backs who were primarily playing with Mac Jones this season, um, they were number one and number two in yards from scrimmage. They both averaged around seven and a half yards per carry. So that is excellent. And I think there'll be a 
good to great running team going forward. I think they will be a very strong running team going forward, but I don't think the Patriots are going to average what we saw them average in the preseason. And that also helped establish things very well for Mac Jones going here. I mean, if you look at for their rush grades, right, they had the second highest rush grade of the preseason and EPA per play. They were the second highest of the preseason. They were successful in about 48% of their plays, according to having a positive EPA, which is extremely high. Um, you know, the, right up there in the top in forced missed tackles, right up there in the top in explosive runs. Uh, the amount of yards that they accumulated was second to the 49ers. Uh, so they had all those different things going for this. That's another thing where during the regular season, I'm not sure that Mac Jones is going to be able to rely upon that and be able to rely upon the fact that the Patriots as a team in the preseason averaged five and a half yards per carry and then even a higher amount for, for their backups who Mac Jones was primarily playing with. So those are the concerns for Mac. Um, I get it, though, from, from what Belichick's doing. He wants to go ahead and get him as many reps as possible, and I think that will pay off later in the season. As much as I like Cam Newton, the concern with him would have been the drop-off in the second half of the season. We saw that in 2018. We saw that in 2020. And there was this weird catch-22 with Newton where you really wanted to use his rushing ability, and that was used a lot last season. If you look at his percentage of team carries, he was well over 20%, more like 25%, getting a quarter of the team's carries, getting tons and tons of carries near the goal line, which are very grinding sort of situations in short yardage. And I think the punishment, either from that or just from general, having so many reps throwing the ball and the shoulder problems we've seen him have, uh, he just would lose some zip as the season went on. And, I, and while his passing looks great now, uh, that's probably a concern for for uh, Bill Belichick and the Patriots moving forward. Now, let's talk about some of these other guys here. So by the time this comes out, maybe Trey Lance will be declared the starter and it won't be Jimmy Garoppolo, but I have a assumption that Garoppolo will be the starter, uh, kind of has to do with what I was talking about before, the fact that Lance was the lowest rated, uh, lowest graded quarterback um, of the rookies of the top first round draft rookies so far this year and can you you know when you have jimmy garoppolo right they they're on the hook for about 25 million dollars this year if he plays they've been taking that risk that injury risk for garoppolo so i've discussed before on here if they're going to do that you better be very very serious about potentially starting him to start the season or else you're taking a huge risk having him having him on the books there um but when you look at lance so far this this preseason the problem is not only just the grade in and of itself right but the problem is when you dig a little bit further and you say okay what are the components of why his grading is poor because he's had you know two big time throws he's not like he's 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 not has been able to push the ball down the field at all um he has a high a dot uh, nine and a half yards so he's been throwing the ball down the field he's stretching the field there he has six, I mean, sorry, nine drops, which is pretty amazing that uh, about 30% of his catchable passes have been dropped. So you, again, that's something that we account for there in our grading. So that's actually part of the low grade. So how does he get driven down so far when his adjusted completion percentage is 68% if those passes weren't dropped? Well, the reason is, the big reason is the five turnover worthy plays. That is a lot. Okay, so that's five turnover worthy plays in 57 dropbacks. I mean, 57 dropbacks 
It's a little bit more than a full game's worth, but it's not that much more than a full game's worth. So we're talking about five potential turnovers in a little bit over a game's worth of action, plus six sacks. He's taken six sacks. You combine all that together, and I just don't know if you could put that out there on the field for a team that you know is going to compete this year. This is a team where if you look at the betting odds for the 49ers, I think this is a real differentiation between them and the Bears. Um, and I'm going to work under the assumption that Jimmy G is going to be the starter week one. So it's, it's really one of the reasons why I think Justin Fields will be starting earlier than Trey Lance is, you know, wins and losses have a lot to do with when the transition is made to a rookie quarterback. And if you look at some of the team futures here, right for the division winner, uh, the bears are plus five fifty to win the division. So that gives them a very small chance. It's like a one in six ish sort of chance, one in six and a half chance. That's pretty low. Whereas the division winners for the NFC West, the 49ers are slightly ahead of the Rams as being a favorite to, to win the division there. If you look at some, some other numbers that we have around comparing the bears to the 49ers and figuring out when are these guys going to start? Well, according to our simulations, the bears have the fourth lowest win projection and the seventh lowest playoff probability. Uh, The 49ers are up in the top 10 in both of those different, different categories. And again, the bears, the early season schedule, they play against the Rams week one. Um, I don't buy into this. Like they shouldn't have started Justin Fields because of the Rams. I know some people have said that, but I don't buy into that. So they play the Rams week one. So that's going to be a tough game. They play at home against the Bengals week two. Eh, you know, they should be able to pull that one out, but then they're going to play. Uh, they're playing at the Rams. They're going to play at the Browns in week three. So I think it's even if Dalton starts week one, it could be after week one, they make the transition. If they lose to the Rams and the Bengals, it could be after week two, or if they're, you know, 0 and 3 or 1 and 2 after playing the Bears and playing the Browns in week three, that's it. The transition can be made there too. So there are lots of windows, lots of outs to figure out Justin Fields, this is when he's going to be starting, right? Now, for the 49ers, if we look at their schedule for 2021, they have the easiest schedule in the NFL, according to our numbers. And their 2021 schedule, Assuming again that Garoppolo is playing week one, they start at the Detroit Lions, then they go at the Philadelphia Eagles, two teams who are considered to be, you know, the worst teams in their respective divisions. The next two games are kind of tough against Green Bay, um, but they are at home and then at home against Seattle and then at Arizona. So that's a that's a little bit of a stretch there. So I think that is probably the first time that we would see Lance, presuming he does not start week one is to have Lance start week seven coming out of a bye in week six. Um, But if the Niners can win three of those five games, and I think they can, that's much, much more likely in my opinion than they have a losing record at that point um, because of the, the ease of the games against Detroit and Philadelphia, you almost have, you have two really strong probable wins versus um, you know, one probable loss and maybe two probable 50-50 games um, because of the fact that that they have the advantage there. You know, I don't know how long it'll take after that because then they're playing at home against the Colts. They're playing at Chicago, at home against the Cardinals, at home against the Rams, then at Jacksonville, Minnesota. Uh, they have Cincinnati and Atlanta later on. 
And they also have the Houston Texans very, very late in in the schedule. So there's a definite ease of schedule here situation where I think there's a sneaky chance that Lance could get could get stuck there because not only did he have the poor preseason, but let's remember he's a young guy. He only had one game of the 2020 uh, college season. So he's really someone who's played one game in the last 18 months. And for all of those reasons, um, he just hasn't been able to lower the the downside and, and the risk in, in people's minds. Um, again, I could be totally wrong. Who knows? By the time this episode comes out, it could be Trey Lance as the starter, which I'm not against necessarily. I just think it's unlikely. Um, but it's something to keep in mind, not only for your real football considerations of, of when Lance will be playing versus when Fields will be playing, but even for fantasy football, you know, Lance is going above fields in a lot of drafts right now especially since fields has been uh relegated to backup for week one and we don't know for lance and i would flip it the other way around not only because i think under most scenarios field starts first um i would also do it because i think fields is going to run maybe even more than lance this year he's been a guy who scrambled 15 percent during the during the preseason and was scrambling 15 20 percent during the year too um so it really has a high, high floor there, but I expect Lance to, you know, mix in, even if he doesn't start in, in situationally for the, the 49ers. Okay. Before we get to, to the next discussion of what went on as far as the Minshew trade and a bunch of stuff there, uh, we're going to hit fan tracks is a sponsor of the pod. We did a draft with fan tracks with all the fantasy football guys. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, let me just say that they're a free league manager, most customizable, easy to use, feature rich platform. You can do player salaries and contract options, different bonuses for types of TDs. You can auto generate player salaries. You can bring your league in from another platform, no problem. And if you sign up using promo code PFF at fantracks.com slash PFF, and get a chance to win a trip to any regular season game this year for you and your entire league, plus six grand in good old-fashioned hard cash. That is promo code PFF at Fantrax.com slash PFF. A lot of choices there for some great games. Um, some good week one games, so I'm really excited about this, uh, this Browns-Chiefs game, week one. Okay, so let's uh, jump on to the next topic here, and you know, Minshew was traded, right? So it was a either potentially a, uh, I think it's a fifth round pick here we have, or a conditional sixth round pick, right? So it's kind of interesting because I've heard some people say that they think Minshew has a chance to start this year at some point. Um, yeah, that's a possibility. Uh, but I would not overweight that. I mean, we are talking about here a fifth round pick in the best of scenarios is how much the Eagles are giving up here, right? So I'm not going to overrate it that high. And we've seen enough of Minshew, I think, uh, in his career. Uh, I was looking at some stats the other day for, you know, what type of quarterback is is, uh, Gardner Minshew. And if we look at his numbers over his grade and his EPA numbers, you know, not so hot. If you look at the last, the last couple of years where he's ranked, right. Um, He has 
really never in his career been better than 21st as far as his his grade ranking. And his grade has normally been a little bit better than his EPA numbers because he takes a lot of sacks. So his grades tend to do better than EPA for a lot of the reasons I discussed earlier when we were talking about Mac Jones's grading. Um, his EPA is 24th was the best that he's done. And that was last season in his 380 dropbacks that he had there. So he's just, you know, he's mid twenties type of quarterback. I don't know what sort of ceiling you're getting from a former six round pick who has limited athleticism, limited arm strength, and hasn't really proven that much here. Um, so, but what I want to address in a larger sense is this idea of what Urban Meyer was doing with this quote unquote, I'm going to put quotes around a QB competition with Minshew and with Lawrence. And I've been thinking about it a lot because I think it reflects a larger issue that could happen with Urban Meyer here versus the way I like to see coaches act. And that is with kind of a genuine I wouldn't say keeping it real, but being, being a genuine person. And I heard this a lot last season when Kevin Stefanski was hired by the Browns. And I've also heard it a decent amount when Robert Sala came in with the jets this year and what they've said. And I think it makes a lot of sense. They said when, you know, dealing with the players, there's lots of different ways you can, you can be rah, rah, you can be hard nosed. You can be a lot of different things, but the one thing that they feel like players respond to the best and it's a way of building trust and earning the respect of the players is to be yourself, to be a real person, to not try to you know, put on games with them, to not try to trick them into thinking anything, to not deceive them maybe with, with you know, you're going to get this, you're going to have this spot in the, in the lineup and then have to end up cutting them or something or having them be disappointed. And I think, Meyer from the outside, at least, and we don't know what's going on in the building. Meyer from the outside may have failed on this count already because there are two different things that people have postulated for what happened with this QB competition with Minshew and with uh, Trevor Lawrence. The first thing, and I'm going to say that I don't believe this at all, and that is that it was all something that Meyer concocted in order to get higher trade value for Gardner Minshew. You know, I don't believe that Meyer is going to do anything that's not, that he doesn't believe is in the best interest of his team to win games this season. So that at the end of the day, he's going to trade away a quarterback at the end of preseason's over, training camp's basically over. He's going to trade away a quarterback then when their value is probably the lowest because teams already have the slots filled. They're not desperate for someone unless someone gets injured. Um, and then he gets a conditional sixth round pick or conditional fifth round pick. It, it could go up to a fifth round pick. Was that, would that really be worth going through all that effort? How much are you going to get for Gardner Minshew? You're not going to get much. You knew that. Um, that it seems kind of ridiculous to me that you would think that Urban Meyer, that's what he was doing. Um, I think it's much more likely what he was doing was you know, trying to set this tone, trying to set this culture of saying everyone has to earn their spot. Now, it reminds me a little bit of this kind of hokey thing that the Browns were doing during their hard knocks year with Hugh Jackson, where they said they had to earn the stripes on their helmets. Um, it's one of these things where 
it is a given that certain things are going to happen, right? The Browns are going to get through the preseason. They're going to get through training camp and they're going to get the stripes on their helmet. Why, why manufacture this, this thing to try to pretend like you have to earn something, which is going to be given anyway. We all knew, at least I knew, um, I think most of us knew that Trevor Lawrence was going to be the starting quarterback, going to be the week one starting quarterback. Why invent a QB battle, a QB competition, just to prove some sort of point that you have to earn your spot? Because the only thing worse, well, not the only thing worse, but I would say that if your concern is that you're sending a message to your team that you don't have to earn your spot by anointing Trevor Lawrence very early, the number one pick, the generational prospect a little bit early. If that's your concern, is that the message that sends to the locker room, what message does it send to the locker room if they know you're putting on a fake quarterback competition, right? Isn't that a worse message to say, I'm going to put on this farcical quarterback competition to prove a point? That is not being genuine and not being real and not being honest with your players there. And this is after, of course, you know, you brought in a strength and conditioning coach who had issues with using uh, racial slurs in the past. We then had to get rid of this is after you brought in Tim Tebow, your favorite son for a while. And he, you know, I thought it wasn't, it wasn't maybe the worst idea when it initially happened, but of course he kind of embarrassed himself a little bit out there on the field. Everyone saw the clips of him missing blocks on there. Um, so this is after doing a couple of things here where you've shown that you're not really listening. You're not being genuine with, with your players. And I think it's a great contrast to Bill Belichick also, where if you like, look at this Cam Newton situation, right? They didn't take the role. They didn't take the route that the bears took where the bears have shown with their trade for Foles and also their signing of Andy Dalton, that they're desperate. They're in this desperation mode before the draft happens. And they say, you know what, Andy Dalton, we're going to give you a seven and a half million dollar signing bonus, which they can't get back now. That's gone. Um, we're going to anoint you QB one. That famous tweet went out from the bears that everyone made fun of that had Dalton as QB one. And they basically promised him that he was going to be the starting job. I think those things really affected their decision potentially for Justin Fields or Danny Dalton in week one. Now, Belichick, on the other hand, when he's had this relationship with Cam Newton, you saw Cam Newton. I think he, he likes Bill Belichick because, you know, you don't have to be the Belichick. I wouldn't say is very close in personality wise to someone like a Kevin Stefanski He's a little more crotchety. You know, he's a little bit uh, uh, grumpier, but I don't think he, anyone would accuse him of not being real with his players because he tells Cam Newton, you know, this is the amount of money we're going to pay you. You're going to come in and you're going to compete. We're not going to anoint you of anything, right? And he's being very open and honest. So even when a surprise cut happens like this, I don't think players are upset because he has set the tone for being open and honest with them. They've let go of a lot of players over the years, but I think there was always, he was never promising players a certain thing. He was saying, you know, we're going to bring you in. You're, we're going to be successful. And then if you go somewhere else and make a bunch of money, then that's great. That's it. You know, Robert Sala said the same exact thing when he was talking about his introductory press conferences. He says for players, you know, his, when he's talking to players, he's like, we want to invest in you to be successful. And even if it's not here, right, we're not going to get into this, this issue where, you know, players get upset about the fact that they're not being offered a contract extension or what they've been promised, because we're going to say, you know, we can bring some players back. We, can, we can't bring others back, but we want you to be successful. We want you to go make money no matter where you're going to go. 
So it's having that open and honest discussion with the players. And I think this QB competition that Meyer put on here was really harmful and detrimental to that. And because of that, because of that, I'm going to say that Meyer's going to join a, a group here of people where he's going to have to prove himself back into the good graces of this pod. Cause for now, Urban Meyer is canceled. Sorry, you're canceled. All right, before we get on to our next segment in the pod, let me hit you with one more ad here. And this one is for DraftKings. Now, the NFL is back and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving all new players a can't-miss offer for week one. Bet just $1 on any NFL game during the first week of the season and receive $200 in free bets instantly, no matter what. Take advantage of this limited time offer now. You heard right. DraftKings is giving all new players $200 in free bets instantly when you place a bet of $1 or more on any week one game. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now to check out all the great promotions and daily odds boosts. Plus, you can make Every game, a big game with same game parlays. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any week one game. That's promo code PFF to get your $200 free in free bets instantly. For a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Okay, so the, the this segment here is I'm going to be going through. This is something, I'm just like a preview of what we're going to be doing during the regular season. Hopefully, like I said, fingers crossed with my man, Ryan Paganetti here, um, going through the different games with a focus on looking at some game management situations. Now, this might be better done in a video format, I'll, you know, I don't know why I'm even saying this and kind of downgrading my own thing here, but uh, it might be better done in a video format. I'll admit that. Um, but, you know, there's rights, there's everything else that's concerned here. What I'm going to do is I'm going to tweet out uh, after I send out the episode uh, tomorrow morning. I'm also going to tweet out a clip of what, of what we're talking about here. So if you want to see it in more detail, but I think I can describe it pretty well what happened. So the first game I want to talk about is Eagles jets that happened this last week and the starters were not playing the starting quarterbacks were not playing so it's you know those guys were off of the off of the field so it wasn't the most exciting from that perspective but i saw something that interests me a lot and i think one of the underplayed things when we talk about game management is not just the fourth down call but it's how you think about the progression of plays in a drive in a series right uh, when Ryan was on the podcast, he talked about that he's, you know, constantly, he was constantly talking to Frank Reich back when he was the, the play caller um, for, you know, the offensive coordinator for what was going on and for Doug Peterson, constantly saying to them, hey, if we get into this situation, we might want to look this. If we get into this situation, we might want to look for this. So in this Jets-Eagles games, uh, this is early in the game, on the Jets' first drive, they were, they had third and goal from a little bit past the four-yard line, right? And the reason I thought the situation was interesting is they chose to run then, which then set up going forward on fourth down after that. 
And I really like that because if you look generally, teams pass it way too much on third and five or fewer yards. Um, And the reason for that is the conversion rate on that third down. So if you, if you think about, if you're not thinking about fourth down, right? If you're not thinking about the possibility of fourth down, the conversion rate on that third down is higher to pass it than it is to run it. And we have a system here we call Walsh, which calculates all the different conversion probabilities. It factors in quarterback and situation and everything else. So on this play for the Jets, which I said, again, was third and goal from the four. It was about a 37% chance to convert passing the ball and only a 35% chance to convert running the ball. So I think teams look about that. First of all, teams probably think the conversion rate is, is there's even a bigger split there, but it isn't. Um, so that those are, your, those are your conversion rates. So it is slightly higher. And because of that, I looked at situations over the last two years where a team had it third and goal from the four. And out of the 116 times that I found, they passed it 93 times. So they passed it 80% of the time. So that would make some sense if you had an advantage for conversion, but that's only if you consider the fact that if you do not consider the fact, I should say that you can go for it on fourth down, right? And you consider the fact of what happens when you run the ball versus what happens when you pass the ball on that third down. So I looked at all these different plays, these uh, third and uh, four yards to goal. Uh, to goal from the, from the four yard line um, situations. I looked at running, I looked at passing. I said, what were the outcomes of these different plays? Because when you're thinking about what you're going to do on fourth down, when you're already on third down, then it becomes obvious in my opinion, that running the ball is a great, great option there. Now there was, you know, a team had never lost more than two yards when they ran the ball, whereas they lost up to 11 yards passing the ball. Um, The chance of having, losing yards or no gain passing the ball is around 60%. So 60% of the time when you're passing the ball from that four yard line, you're either losing yards or you're not gaining any. Whereas the chance of that happening and with a lower downside, also the chance of that happening is only 30% running the ball and the chance of gaining yards, but not scoring. Remember the conversion rates are basically the same. So that means scoring. So the chance of gaining yards, but not scoring about 36% of the time, that happens running the ball. Whereas for passing the ball, it's only happening about 4% of the time. So it's almost like you're converting or you're not getting any yards. That's basically it. Um, Whereas for running the ball, you are converting and then gaining yards is another substantial chunk. And then not gaining yards or losing yards is another substantial chunk, right? So you you have this extra step so you, you're much more likely to be gaining one yard, gaining two yards, gaining three yards, and then setting yourself up for even a better fourth down chance. And that makes up for the small conversion probability difference on third down. So these teams should not be going 80% of the time to pass the ball. They should think much more often about, about running the ball or at least setting up plays where you have optionality there, where you can have a run pass option, depending upon what the look is. Um, so what happened was for the Jets here, is they did end up running the ball. They picked up two yards. And now on fourth and two, they ended up in a situation where they had about a 45 to 50% chance of converting from there versus the 35% chance. So it's more like 50% here. And if you look at the, the probabilities, 
you know, their, their win probability if they kicked a field goal in that circumstance was 49% and their pre-snap. So if you combine all the different options together, the win probability was about 52%. So it was really a strong go for it situation, much stronger than it would have been from the four yard line. And obviously you took off the table again, running, you took off the table, losing five yards or something like that, where you would not have a go for it situation. Now they ended up throwing the ball. And they ended up scoring. It looked again like it was an option play where they could have ran the ball, but the, because of what they liked, um, the quarterback who was in there at the time, who was Josh Johnson, who's no longer on the team, but uh, who was in there at the time, he chose to throw the ball and they ended up throwing a touchdown. But again, I thought this was a great example of knowing on third down the possibilities of not only this one play, but the potential fourth down play using that. To, to run the ball in this situation, set yourself up for even a better fourth down try, and then go ahead and convert, which I think was extremely effective. And we saw how well that worked for them. And hopefully some other teams will be doing stuff like this in the future. So these are the type of plays that I'm going to want to, to focus on. Um, but of course, it'll focus on not only these types of situations, but timeouts and other type of situations going forward. Okay, before our next thing here, we have Western and Southern is an ad sponsor. And in these uncertain times, life is full of questions like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them, backed by over 130 years of experience. Together, we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments, compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. All right, so this is our underdog fantasy last segment here. And uh, right now, just so you know, for Underdog Fantasy, deposit $10, promo code PFF. You get a free PFF Edge subscription. You get all the different types of analysis. And I'm going to go over a piece that I just wrote uh, for this week where it's going round by round at who I'm targeting in fantasy drafts. And I want to focus on a couple of guys here in particular. Um, But I'll, I'll give you some of the names here. So I'll give you a preview for the first few rounds. So I gave a couple of names for guys who I like in the first... Five rounds? Did I give two names or four rounds? Uh, first five rounds, I gave two different names. And then through round 12, I gave one name beyond that. So the most interesting ones, I'm not going to give both the names for, for every round, but the most interesting ones, I think for round one, uh, Devontae Adams, I think is a very interesting guy because he's my fourth ranked player in PPR and half PPR leagues. He has an ADP of six in the half PPR for underdog. And you know what? I might even be okay with taking him third. Uh, I think Christian McCaffrey is going to be the number one pick almost all the time. Dalvin Cook is going to be the number two pick the substantial amount of time. The number three pick can be a lot of different names. I would lean towards Alvin Kamara. Um, But if you want to go Adams there, I think there's a strong case to do that because there are question marks about Kamara as far as how he's going to operate in this offense with Jameis Winston or with Taysom Hill. If you think about Derrick Henry, there are a lot of question marks about him. I'll give you a little preview about the fact that my piece that comes out tomorrow, he's going to be my first round fade as a guy that I'm fading versus ADP. Uh, you know, he had 370 something rushing attempts last year, which was 50 more than 40, 50 more than any player has had since 2013 when um, DeMarco Murray had 393, yet he still wasn't, you know, number one in, in fantasy points per game and not really close to number one in fantasy points per game that we've seen over that time period. So he just doesn't have that, that ceiling because he's not involved in the passing game. 
Um, so some people are going with him. Some people may go with Travis Kelsey. You know, Adams, not only was he the top scorer last year by a lot, even though he missed some time, he was the top scorer, the assumed scorer by his expected fantasy points, which are based upon how he was targeted. So it wasn't just luck. And it just like, he's so much higher above anyone else. A lot of these other running backs have questions. Ezekiel Elliott, other guys have questions up there. I'm going to say, go ahead and pull the trigger on Adams earlier than what you may think. Uh, round two, Najee Harris is who I'm going to put on here. And again, just volume, volume, volume. You know, I made a big deal about him being a offensive rookie of the year bet. I mentioned that on this pod months ago, he was plus 1500 at FanDuel. Now he's plus 900. So people are on to this a little bit here. He was playing in 16 out of the 17 snaps that Ben Roethlisberger played. He was in there at the same time. He's going to be doing it everything. I know there are offensive line questions. I know there are questions about running volume and this and that. If you're in there on every single play and you're playing in a functional offense, you're going to score a lot. And that's Najee Harris and that he's taking on that Le'Veon Bell role. His underdog ADP is around 17. My ranking is 14. If you want to go a little bit higher than that, I, I could see you doing it. Um, for round three, the guy that I'm going to pick out here is Terry McLaurin. And his underdog ADP right now is 28. I have him ranked 25. And the thing with him is you normally see the second-year breakout, not the third-year breakout for these high-end guys but he's really had some of the worst quarterback play in the NFL. And, you know, say what you will about Alex Smith is courageous comeback last year. He was throwing, you know, 50 targets a game to running backs. <laughs> if you look at the target share, which is insane to JC, JD McKissick and others, he wasn't pushing the ball down the field. We're going to get that from Ryan Fitzpatrick this year. And I don't think Curtis Samuel is that much of a target threat. You know, he's a guy who had hundred targets once in his career. I don't think it's a big, it's a big deal there. I think McLaurin finally has a chance. And I think he's also a guy in that range who probably has the best chance of anyone after you get through your AJ Browns and your Justin Jeffersons and that whole tier there. I think he has a good of chance of anyone of getting into that top five overall. And that's always what I'm going to be going for in these fantasy drafts is drafting guys who can get, you know, a league winning type of performance. If you're drafting anyone in the first few rounds. So Terry McLaurin would be my guy. In, in that round. The fourth round, and I'm really, really warming up to this guy, Julio Jones. Now, I know that he's going to a team that's going to have less val- a less um, volume this year, but, you know, A.J. Brown is like a early second round pick or mid-second round pick. Julio Jones is going in the fourth round. Julio Jones was a mid-second round pick last year. Now he's a mid-fourth round pick, despite the fact that, yes, he was injured, so he missed time, but if you look at on a per route basis, not only were there no signs of decline, he is his yards per route run was higher in 2020 than it was in 2019. His yards per reception was higher in 2020 than it was in 2019. His average depth of target was higher in 2020 than it was in 2019. So he did not look like a player in decline. He looked like a player who was maintaining his efficiency last year. He's healthy going into the season. Uh, he's going to play with a hyper efficient quarterback who likes to throw the ball down the field. And I just think there's, there's a really good chance that he's going to be, end up being the number one guy on that team. Um, he's really been a target hog. I mean, we've never seen, we've never seen AJ Brown collect just the sheer number of targets. AJ Brown's target share was pretty good last year. I'll admit it was, it was 25 ish percent when he played. So he's had a very high share, but we've never seen just the pure gross volume 
that Julio Jones has had in his career. I mean, you know, if they end up being a big passing attack this season and flip the switch on that, um, Julio Jones in, 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 you know, flip the switch on the volume there for Tennessee. I mean, Julio Jones is a player who's had 200 targets in a season before. That's just an enormous amount. Very few guys can do that. Julio Jones is getting older, I know, but um, he would be the guy that I'm looking at that fourth round almost every single time, especially because some of the other options around there are a little bit dicey, especially at running back, uh, but even at tight end. And, you know, if you want to go tight end or quarterback, maybe you can, you can pivot at that there. And then round five, uh, I think I've talked about Chase Claypool as being a breakout, so he's in there. But the other guy is Lamar Jackson. And there's a decent gap forming where I think there's a top tier of Mahomes, Josh Allen, and Lamar Jackson are really who your top tier should be. Um, But it's really becoming Mahomes and Josh Allen next to each other. And I think Josh Allen is getting pushed up even further with that preseason performance where he was just where he passed it like every single down when he played in the preseason. And then a, a little bit of a gap in ADP and then Lamar Jackson. So I think Jackson's someone you can get in the late fifth, maybe even in the sixth round, depending upon your league mates, the how how much they like late round quarterback type of strategy. So he's a guy where you know a thousand yards rushing is like his baseline outcome for what you're expecting for, for Lamar Jackson. If you can get that TD rate back up again, this is a guy who in 2019 had a per game fantasy scoring that's been higher than anyone else we've seen in recent years. So the ceiling is higher than nearly everyone else at the quarterback position. Get him at a discount, get him right there, get him at the end of round five or potentially in round six, even in some leagues. Okay, that's all I'm going to hit you with when it comes to the fantasy and the underdog stuff. Uh, probably have another underdog segment last next week, the very end. And as we're starting to get into fantasy draft time and the NFL season, I appreciate everyone tuning in. Uh, again, we're coming with one episode um, next week before the start of the season. And then after that, I think we're going to transition to a format where we have an episode on, we try to release... Monday afternoon-ish, where I talk uh, about all the different games and their situations, hopefully with Ryan Paganetti there, if we can get all that cleared up. Um, at that situation, he's such a great resource. Anyone who's not following him on Twitter, please follow him at Paganetti Ryan. And then later in the week, I'll come back with a solo or with another short interview pod discussing the happenings of the week that'll come out on a Friday or a Saturday before the weekend. But I'm still finalizing what's going to go on there. I appreciate the support here. Numbers are, are been up pretty big time here across the board. So everyone tuning in, I thank you so much. And I'll be talking at you again next week. Mm-hmm.